Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. My child is screaming because I forgot to give them a snack and oh, I should have given them a snack. And why did I take them to the park instead of give them a snack? And like, so as soon as we start going down that road, we're escalating. We're coming yep. out of our windows and making it more likely we're going to yell at our kids. So, so the people that are experiencing dysregulation and they're really having a hard time and they feel super, super bad because they're not supposed to flip their lid ever with their kids. Mm-hmm. What, what do you do with those, um, with these people trying to work on themselves that way? All right, mamas, we've all said it, or at least thought it. I'm not a good mom. So in this episode with Natalie Brunswick, we talk about emotional regulation, all sorts of things having to do with parenting and emotions. And I really, I think that you're going to get a lot out of this. Yeah, Natalie is a trauma therapist from Toronto, and she is so well-spoken, and she just really digs deeply into how do we respond to our children when not only are our children dysregulated, but we're dysregulated. And she talks about how so often we go into... Um, you know, a what would have been a repair with our kids, but instead we went into fight, flight, or freeze, and how that all works from a scientific perspective and what to do instead of getting into fight, flight, or freeze. Welcome, Natalie, to the podcast. We're so thankful that you've joined us today. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Aww. Well, you work with a lot of parents as a therapist in Canada, and you see a lot of folks who are experiencing a new set of emotions, becoming a parent. Um, Tell us about the slew of emotions that you see people experience when they enter the parenthood umbrella. I mean, I think it's all the emotions. Um, And we could probably spend a good week here going into each of them. But I mean, I think depending on your journey, most people before they become parents and when they're pregnant or they're waiting for their baby to arrive, the emotion that we most often think about is that joy and Mm -hmm. that sort of feeling of connection and all the good stuff. We imagine all the good stuff. And even if we came from families of origin that weren't quite so functional, Mm -hmm. we almost bring our hopes and dreams for something better into this new family we're creating. Mm. And so we still have these expectations of, I'm going to do things differently. I'm going to create things I didn't have. And so we imagine all these positives. And for many people, those positives arrive and they they experience them right from the beginning. And yet for lots of people, they don't quite get to those lovely feelings and emotions that we imagine 
right from the get-go for many reasons. Mm -hmm. Sometimes there's trauma, there's a birth trauma. Sometimes even before birth, we've had like really difficult fertility journeys Mm -hmm. and the stress that has come through that maybe the stress on our relationships that have come through that fertility journey, and also on like a a nervous system level, the Mm -hmm. stress of going through those procedures and all of that, it takes a toll. And then we go through pregnancy and everyone has different experiences of pregnancy. Some people, my first pregnancy was pretty easy. I was like, I could be pregnant forever. My second pregnancy was like, oh my God, (laughs) I was in pain, I was exhausted. And some people get like really sick and have medical complications during pregnancy and then birth. And so sometimes we have the births we want and sometimes they're not quite the births we want. And then sometimes they're quite traumatic. And, And then we go into postpartum and again, we might have a colicky baby or struggle with a tongue tie or have a baby with reflux or, you know, mm-hmm. my marriage starts to really fall apart under the stress of all of this. And I wasn't yeah. expecting that. I thought this baby mm-hmm. would bring us together. And so suddenly, plus the sleep deprivation, <laughs> we <laughs> yes. are kind of- Let's not grown. forget that. <laughs> yeah, this is a very, very important variable because that just makes all of our emotions more mm-hmm. heightened and it makes it that much harder for us to regulate any of it. Mm-hmm we're suddenly experiencing all these emotions, which might be fear, which might be for some people might be like a real trauma response. And that Mm -hmm. is really that fear and that pervasive anxiety. So if I had a traumatic birth and that was my entryway into becoming a parent and there was something that happened to my baby, it's likely that your early experience of parenting and if you haven't received proper therapy and support, mm-hmm. is going to be laced with that fear. What if something right. bad happens then? Or yeah. what What did I do? Why couldn't I prevent that birth at 32 weeks? I'm such a failure. Did mm-hmm. I eat the wrong thing? Did I exercise too much? And so there's fear can be a big one. And then with that comes the shame and the guilt that mm-hmm. we didn't do things the way we thought we should. Yes. Yeah. And grief is a really big one. Grief for how we thought things were going to go. And when they don't go that way, there is grief. And people are confused about that one because they're like, we just had this joy of bringing yeah. a new baby into this or world. Or like, yeah, we should be happy right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Right. Exactly. And so, so when many- they have that grief response, like they're confused about it. Can you talk to the person who might be feeling that way? Yeah. I mean, grief can look a lot like depression. And mm-hmm. I... I I have this sense in the perinatal world that a lot of new parents who are truly experiencing grief are Mm -hmm. being diagnosed as depressed, but what they really need is someone to just hold them in that sadness. Yeah. Like you didn't get to hold your baby right after they were born. Or maybe like for me, my story, I had a colicky baby who screamed nonstop. I didn't Mm. get that blissful new mom breastfeeding experience that you see other people get. I I bottle fed him. I had, he had a tongue tie. It was like a nightmare like stuff for two months. And my husband, I fought all the time. This is not, this Mm. was not what I was imagining. And there was grief around that. Like I didn't get that experience. I thought I was going to have, and I think what can sometimes complicate grief and what clinically often complicate complicates grief is when we do have past traumas and we do have those childhood wounds that Mm -hmm. then get reactivated in the present because Mm -hmm. most childhood trauma is intimately connected to grief. So if I had a parent who was an alcoholic, every time they drank, 
they disappeared from that relationship with me. I lost that safe parental figure. Yeah. There's a grief there. There's a loss there. Mm -hmm. I lost that parent. I lost that safe relationship. And so then when we have these losses in parenthood, whether they are actual losses, which many people do, they lose a baby and miscarriage and stillbirth and we, we lose things or we lose a partner or they are those more difficult to sort of hold on to griefs like the ones mm-hmm. we were kind of talking about, which is mm-hmm. the, the, the loss of the dream, the loss mm-hmm. of how we thought things would be. Mm-hmm. If we do have those childhood wounds, those old griefs come up and that's how we can kind of know if the grief isn't kind of slowly dissipating if right. we're being held and we're having a chance to tell our story and feel yeah. supported through that loss if it's still lingering and we're really having these feelings of failure and not able to move past it it's a good sign those old traumas are are what's uh, really going on yeah. and then more support around that why don't you think that we give ourselves space to examine our expectations because that's what I see coming up over and over. Mm -hmm. You know, like I think it's going to be this way and then it's not that way. Here's the reality and it looks different and that affects us. Why, why is that? Mm. Those, I mean, there's a, it depends who you ask. If you ask a psychologist, you'll get a different answer than (laughs) if you ask a sociologist, but I think both have something important to contribute Mm. to the conversation, you know, on the sociology. And we would say there are tons of messages that parents and especially mothers are given around how they should be. What Mm. makes a good mother? Mm. Good mothers never yell. They never get, they never experience anger. My goodness. So we have these messages that we are given through culture, through the movies we would have watched growing up, the books we would have read, Mm all of those cultural norms. And then we also have the messages we receive from our family of origin. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we might grow up in a family of origin where my mom was like the perfect homemaker. And so I need to be just like her because she was such an amazing mom. And if I don't, if I'm not like her, then I'm somehow falling short. And then some people have the opposite, which is my mom was a terrible mom and I never want to be like that. Mm -hmm. And so I need to be perfect. Otherwise, my children are going to have the same experience I did and I'm going to be like her and they're all going to get right. And so, so it's an extreme expectation on yeah. one side or the other, rather than a realistic expectation. So of what's healthy. hilarious is I actually talked to a mother that said almost exactly what you said yesterday. I talked to her yesterday and with her and her husband there, we're doing counseling together and she had mentioned, I'm not a good mom. And of course he was throwing out, you do this and you do this. You're an excellent mom. And the, a big, huge problem in this was that she doesn't take any time for herself because she had a mother that was extremely put together, always working, never took time for herself. So that's her standard that she has to achieve mm-hmm. or else I'm not a good mom, which I'm sure is blown out of proportion. But like, how do you like for people that are listening to this that have this sort of experience that I'm not a good mom since this is so common. Yeah. Like how would you help them with seeing the reality or the truth of what they're saying Mm -hmm. or the falseness? Yeah. I mean, generally with something so specific like that, I would probably start with ACBT type 
model of, mm-hmm. okay, let's, let, let's examine the evidence, right? Mm. Give me the proof, right? Mm. Show me the proof. And then they might say something like, I yelled at my whatever it is, or they might say, I'm not able to clean the house all the time. Mm-hmm. And so it would be an entryway into us being able to really dissect some of those beliefs. Like a lot of us are carrying around beliefs that are mm-hmm. not realistic and also not based in reality. Like they're not true, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Well, I might feel like I'm not cleaning the house, but let's actually look back over the last month and count how many times you cleaned the house. So we can do that. And then we, on the flip side, we can also challenge the assumption that a good mother has a clean house. Yeah. Are your kids in 20 years going to look back on their childhood and be like, man, I had a great childhood. My house was always clean. <laughs> like The most important thing is they're going to want to look back and say, I had a great relationship with my parents. Mm-hmm. I always felt loved by my mom. That's so good. And so if not that. cleaning the house means you get to show up for your kids, like that's always the choice, right? Yes. It's always a choice between doing the thing we should do and doing the thing that's going to help our kids feel safe and connected to us. Mm-hmm. Mm. We want to do that. And sometimes what we need in order for our kids to feel safe and connected is to actually maybe do the thing. Maybe yeah. if the house sure. is so dirty and messy, I can't function because that's like sensory overload and I start snapping at my kids, then I know that's my thing. I need to mm-hmm. make sure I do it or I bring in help yeah. or I hire someone. But we just want to get curious and unpack all of this stuff. And so mm-hmm. that's always where we want to we want to go. We want to start digging holes in the, yes. <laughs> in the foundation mm-hmm. of that. Yeah, I like that, like approaching it with curiosity rather than judgment towards self or others. Mm-hmm. Curiosity is a great way to start off, uh, you know, to start dealing and coping. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, talk about the impact of um, a new baby and all the the array of emotions it brings on the marriage. You briefly mentioned it earlier. What are some of the the ways that you see a marriage shift when a baby comes into the world? Yeah. I mean, I think it's so, as you both probably know, it is so unique to every Mm -hmm. marriage and relationship. Mm -hmm. And we have to think about all the dynamics that exist there is the dynamic that exists between the couple Mm -hmm. and there's then the dynamic that exists between the baby and each person. And so, you know, what is the, first off, what's the baby's temperament? Who is this baby that's coming into the world? Right. Because we talk about goodness of fit when we're talking about babies and parents and their relationship. Mm. And sometimes parents end up birthing a baby into the world, that is not the best fit. So this baby's Mm -hmm. temperament really brushes up against one of the parents' temperaments or both. And it can cause a lot of stress Mm. and Mm. it can cause attachment struggles and issues with bonding and all kinds of things will happen that will make it harder. And so sometimes you'll see one of the people in the relationship is really struggling with the demands of parenthood. Sometimes you'll see that there are two parents who are really struggling because Mm -hmm. maybe there are things that are really challenging and they didn't have really strong communication and they didn't have as solid of a foundation as they might've thought or their traumas are coming up. Right. Like when I had my first son, my husband and I prided ourselves on being like, we've never been in a fight. Like we have the most (laughs) amazing relationship. Like we never argue. Like we're rattles us. And like, we had my son 
And like, we couldn't stop fighting. Like Mm -hmm. both of us were so triggered. His stuff came up, my stuff came up. Mm -hmm. We were both irritable and short fused and just, it was really, really difficult. And Mm -hmm. I think if you contrast that with my experience with having my second, who was a much easier baby, it didn't cause anything. Like there there was nothing going on. So I think Mm -hmm. there are lots of issues. Do you have a baby that sleeps really well? then your marriage will have a better chance. (laughs) (laughs) Right. You have a baby that doesn't sleep and is up every two hours and both parents are exhausted. Like that's going to make things harder. So I think there are these internal factors within Mm -hmm. us that make it more difficult. What's going on? How comfortable am I with my emotions? Mm -hmm. Those things. But then there's all these external variables, right? Do we have a support system? What's my baby's temperament? When did I go back to work? What are the pressures I have? What are the financial pressures? Like there's lots of variables. And so it's going to look so different. But I think what we always have to remind ourselves is that every family unit is so different. Like if Mm. you're looking at someone and being like, they seem like it's like so easy and they're having like their relationship is stronger and everything is going well, then like, we really need to remind ourselves like that sometimes there are things in a relationship, you're going through something that's just really challenging. And we yeah. know inherently what's the like Gottman stat on like relationship just like in that first year is like 67%. Yes. Yep. Relationships will struggle in that first year. Right. Yeah. So like, this is a widespread thing. It's yeah. a question really of like, can we, can we both commit to sifting through this mm-hmm. and holding each other and like waiting it out too. Like, yeah. yes, we take action, go see a therapist, go see, you know, a spiritual leader, go see someone mm-hmm. who is able to hold you and bring you back together. But also I think something we don't acknowledge enough is that there are seasons. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There are seasons in your marriage where you might not be as close mm-hmm. as you were mm-hmm. if you have a five-year-old who still wakes up at night. Like <laughs> I have a two-year-old and a five-year-old who are still waking up multiple times a night. And so oh, you know, uh, this is just, it's a season, right? Like, yes. and I, and I think that you both need to be obviously on the same page. If you're like committing to being like, I know we're going to have more time together, but we're in this right now. Mm-hmm. We have to find those moments to connect, but we yes. might not. Like it's my, it's our anniversary tomorrow. We Aww, were happy anniversary. But we were supposed to go for dinner. My babysitter, who my kids know, can't can't come. She canceled because her mother can't watch her kids. So like we can't go over dinner. So we're going out for lunch and we're gonna have like a lunch date. But like you just have to be flexible. Yes. <laughs> Flexibility is key. It's so good. Yeah. All right. So just to kind of like crunch down what you're saying here. Um, I don't know if that's a technical term, crunch down, but we're going <laughs> to use it. We're, we're going to go with it. I'm with it. Um, but you were talking about, you know, your marriage of how like you guys never fought ever. And then all of a sudden there was a little bit more tension in the house yeah. and it was bringing stuff up for him. It was bringing stuff up for you. And then you kind of mentioned a few different um, things that you guys maybe have had done, but you're just talking about like, realize this is a season you know, voice the expectations of like, Hey, I really want to connect with you. So I'm, I'm listening. Cause that's very practical yeah. advice for couples to, to use and to take when they're in that. Cause that's such a, a normal scenario for people to go through. What other things worked for you and your husband that, um, helped you guys get through that, that season? Hmm. I mean, I think, 
bringing in more support. So okay. we brought in support um, mm-hmm. as far as like a babysitter who could help out with some of the stuff yes. around the house so that I wasn't so burdened mm-hmm. with making sure I had to do all the, the tasks and the parenting tasks and also go to work and do all of those things. Um, therapy. Mm-hmm which is always helpful. People are always surprised the therapist saw a therapist. Oh yeah. Yes. Yeah. It doesn't have to be so bad before you go do that. I mean, no, I mean, ideally like the sooner, the better, right? You want to exactly want to get there before all those resentments build up. And then it's kind of, you can get to that place where it feels like it's too far gone. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, therapy. And I think too, like we're still in the season, like last night, last night, I passed my two-year-old over to my husband at 1 a.m. And my (laughs) husband then slept with him in the other room. And my five-year-old woke up at four and my husband and put him back to sleep. And then I took them both. My husband went back to bed. So like, we're still in this. Oh my goodness. You're in the midst Um, of it. We're in it. We're in it. So, you know, we're we're, we're not out of the season yet. But I think for both of us, there is this kind of... We have, so one of the things that's really helpful is we have something, we use a hand gesture. I don't know if you guys teach that, but use this hand gesture. So like, if we're noticing that we're starting to get out of our window of tolerance, we're starting to get kind of like nippy with each other. One person will hopefully remember to like, just like put a hand out. Nice. Which means like, I'm here. I love you. But if we keep going, one of us is just going to like blow it it. up. (laughs) Yeah. One of us is going to lose it. And so we use that a lot. We use that a lot. I like that tool. Um, I really like that. Really, really helpful um, because I think we all need those reminders Mm. when we're in it, in the parenting season. It can feel like sometimes your partner's on a completely different team or sometimes you're like passing ships in a night. Mm. You need to just remind each other that like, I love you. I'm here for you. I don't want to fight with you. I know we're both just tired. And so if you can come up with a hand gesture that like symbolizes all those things. <laughs> that, I love that. That is so good. And it also kind of reminds me of, um, you know, Dan Siegel's uh, phrase. He says, name it to tame it. Um, what I've found helpful in our marriage is just kind of calling it out. Okay. I see that we're both stressed right now. Mm-hmm. And either one of us will, will kind of bargain with each other or haggle. <laughs> like, can you take them and do this? And then I'll take them after like, and, mm-hmm. and we'll kind of yeah. work out a plan really fast. But acknowledging the yes. stress at, at the forefront and then starting but to I solve so it. But I so love the idea of doing the hand gesture. Yes. Just like, okay, <laughs> I am there. I'm here. Yeah. yeah. Because to, to reference Dan Seal, when you've flipped your lid yes. and you're in that place of dysregulation, right. you can't really access your words very well. Yes. Right. So tell, right. tell us about that. Like, so, so the people that are experiencing dysregulation and they're really having a hard time and they feel super, super bad because they're not supposed to flip their lid ever with their kids. Mm-hmm. Wh- what do you do with those, um, with these people trying to work on themselves that way? All right, guys, we're going to get right back to the episode. But before we do, we want to tell you that you need a vacation. Yes, not only a vacation, you need adventure and you need intimacy and we have just the right answer for you. (laughs) Yes, our adventure and intimacy retreat is coming up very, very soon. If you haven't heard about it, now you are. Go to the link in our show notes 
and check it out. Registration actually ends September 1st. Yes, you cannot register after September 1st. So now is the time and we are almost to capacity. So get in on this retreat. It is going to be beautiful. It's in Myrtle Beach, October 20th and 21st. It'll be two jam-packed days with five sessions, all focused on your adventure and intimacy in your marriage. People walk away from this weekend feeling refreshed, renewed, like their tool belt is full of tools and they're ready to really fire up their intimacy, their sex life, their communication. And we want you there on the beach with us, October 20th and 21st. The first thing that comes to mind, first of all, what you're asking me is like, what is Huge. regulation? <laughs> Which is like, what is healing? Yes. <laughs> Which is the whole thing. <laughs> Sorry. Um, <but laughs> See that Canadian thing? Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There you go. Get practice. <laughs> no, I mean, what's happening, right? When we're getting dysregulated, we are coming out of our windows of tolerance and it could be happening for many reasons. So mm -hmm. is there a sensory reason? Is there, is my child screaming? And just on a sensory level, that input that's coming in through my senses is telling my amygdala, I'm not safe. So we have mm -hmm. the sensory stuff. We have the thoughts. So what am I, what am I telling myself about the situation? Mm -hmm. Am I telling myself that like, my child is out to get me, or I'm telling myself that like, I messed up, my child is screaming because I forgot to give them a snack and oh, I should have given them a snack. And why did I take them to the park instead of give them a snack? And like, so as soon as we start going down that road, we're escalating, we're coming yep. out of our windows and making it more likely we're gonna yell at our kids. And then there's the idea of self-compassion. So, you know, when we are using, talking to ourselves like that, it's shame inducing, right? We're, mm -hmm. we're using that shame language. So mm -hmm. self-compassion, if we can bring in that self-compassion talk, both before we flip our lid, it will help us to prevent mm -hmm. that flipping. Of what does lid. that sound like? It sounds like self-compassion towards me sounds like I'm doing a really good job. Mm -hmm. You're okay. It sounds like putting maybe this is like the self-compassion stuff of Kristen Neff, but, you know, putting a hand on the heart, yeah. the idea being yeah. that like when we apply that pressure, it releases the good hormones, releases oxytocin, the bonding mm -hmm. hormone, which decreases our cortisol mm -hmm. and the stress hormones in our body. So we are giving to ourselves this, like, I'm here for you. You're mm -hmm. safe. I think what happens for a lot of parents is that when we're already living in a state of stress, which let's be honest, most parents are, we wake up, get our kids at the door, get to the work, get to office, get to school, get to the grocery store, make dinner. Like every, most parents are living in this, like not even parents, like most people in our modern world yeah. are living in a low state of like chronic hum, anxiety and stress. Yeah. And so then you add in the stresses of parenting and you add in a little child who suddenly screams at the top of their lungs or punches you in the stomach or, you know, headbutts you in the face. I have two boys, so I have lots of <laughs> in my house. Um, and if you're already like hovering close to that place outside of your window of tolerance, close to that place where you've already experienced so much stress in your day, it's not going to take much, right? Yep. It's not going to take much for that to bump you out and suddenly you're nervous system actually thinks that your child is a threat you're nervous it's not conscious but on yeah. this unconscious level your nervous system that amygdala that old reptilian part of our brain thinks i'm not safe and what is our response to not being safe it is fight or fight flight or fight. Yeah. yeah fight is yelling right we can't really flee from our kids <laughs> <laughs> some people will emotionally <laughs> shut down and just be unavailable for their kids but that's more of of um freeze that's more yeah. of a 
response, which is often what happens to parents after they yell. And so what often happens after I yell, which is why the self-compassion work is so important is I yell and then I'm like, oh my God, I'm such a bad parent. Oh my goodness. And I start really like laying that shame down. Mm -hmm. And what we know shame does to our nervous system is actually puts us into freeze. And so what will happen is once we start going down that road, parents will often dis like they'll, they'll disconnect. Yeah. Yeah. So they're no longer making eye contact with their three-year-old. They're totally shut down. And so now that little child is experiencing fear and like they're not connected to their parent. That's really scary. Yeah. Yeah. And I am in that freeze state where I cannot reconnect with my kid because what do we know is the most important thing after you yell it's repair and we cannot repair if we are in that place of complete shutdown and then I'm like and I'm sure many people can like think about having a parent like that like I had a parent like that it was like they would yell and then it was like silence like we never talked about it it was just thing that and so we need to be able to show up afterwards for our kids and say I'm sorry mommy shouldn't have yelled I really shouldn't have yelled Mm-hmm. And I'm so sorry if that made you feel sad or unsafe. Yeah. And I give you a hug. Mm-hmm. And that is the most important thing. The most important thing is not never yelling. We don't want to teach our kids to be afraid of anger. And so it is okay sometimes to show them that we are human, but it is not okay to leave them alone mm-hmm. with the feelings that come up because then they learn to fear that emotion themselves. Mm-hmm. That's, that is so good. This concept of going from fight to freeze and then not repairing, like, yeah, I'm sure it happens. And, and I, and I appreciate the idea of learning to fear the anger because yeah. isn't that what's kind of happening too? When yeah. the, when the parents started, feels it and they're, I can hear the self-talk going, ah, oh, you know, you shouldn't be angry right now. You, you should, and all the shoulds, right. There's mm. creating the shame. Disassociating from really the feels of this person that we have in front of us. Right. Um, but how do we start to retrain that fearing anger? And and honestly, too, just backing out of any time we do something wrong or that mm-hmm. we could have done better, I should say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's, again, that's a big question. I think some of it is we need to start being able to do the work of that somatic kind of learning to feel safe in our bodies with emotions. Mm. You know, that's often something that's really hard for people. And that's something often that makes parenting really hard for people. I learned as a child that emotions aren't safe because I had a parent who yelled all the time and I was left with it on my own. Mm. And now I have learned that emotions are scary and unsafe, especially anger. So if I experience your anger, I feel unsafe. But if I experience my anger, I feel unsafe. So I need to learn to like sit with that anger in my body and be like, I'm safe, even in the presence of this emotion. Mm -hmm. And that's where therapy is really hard. It's really hard for me to be this, to tell someone, be like, go figure this out on your own. Right. That's where like the thematic therapist can be really helpful. And that's any therapist. Yeah. But that's like something you really need to be doing with a therapist. Yes. <laughs> I don't it's think true. it's a fair expectation to be like, you go figure out how to sit with your emotions on your own. But I yes. think 
meditation practice, like if we want to like distill it to something really simple that a lot of people are already feeling like they should be doing, but aren't actually doing <laughs> meditation <laughs> and mindfulness practices are that right. Yes. So when we are doing a five minute mindfulness meditation, I am learning to sit with the sensations in my body mm-hmm. without judging them. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so running. that's a great, yeah. Without, yeah. without feeling like I need to run away. And that's why it's really hard for people. Yes. So it's so challenging because we don't like sitting with those emotions. We don't like being still with mm-hmm. those emotions. Exactly. It's, it's challenging on a practical level. And I think, you know, most of our listeners are Christian and I think it's challenging for them on a spiritual level because mm-hmm. of the narrative around meditation and sitting still. Um, so we'll link in the show notes, an episode we did that, um, a biblical case for meditation, like it comes straight out of the Psalms, you know, it's, it's absolutely important that we make space to be still and to meditate. Um, also, but I also want to, I want to yeah, add something in just to like counteract that yeah. a little bit, because what I would, what I often tell my clients who are just starting out and do have some trauma is that meditation is not a good place to ah. start because that mm-hmm. is really okay. hard for, for someone mm-hmm. to do. And it can often be re-traumatizing for mm-hmm. them to do that. Um, and something, since you brought up church, like if we want to think about somatic things, like going to church and singing with a choir is incredibly regulating for yeah. our system. Mm-hmm. And so we are using our vagus nerve, we are singing, and that is turning on our parasympathetic nervous system. And we are doing that in a social setting, which so is turning good. on our, also turning on our vagus nerve and bringing mm-hmm. that connection in. So, you know, wow. something that we can do when we are noticing that we are starting to feel uncomfortable in our bodies are like nervous system practices, like singing, like something that is so simple or humming. There's a reason we all hum to our babies. It mm-hmm. is very regulating for mm-hmm. us. We do it for us. We think we're doing it for them, <laughs> but we actually do it for us. It regulates us because mm-hmm. it activates our parasympathetic nervous system. So I just wanted to add that. That's that. fantastic. That's really good. Yeah. Cause yeah. I could see there would be people that would be very triggered by that, mm-hmm. but singing for them is very safe. Yeah. So I like that. That's very good, helpful advice. Totally. Yeah. I love it. Um, also, I think while we're talking about the, maybe the negative associations we have with some of these recommendations you're giving, um, as Christians, um, people might also feel uncomfortable with taking space for self, you know, mm-hmm. and self, the idea of self-compassion, you know, but like, this is also biblical. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. And they would have no problem with the idea of going to their neighbor and saying, Hey, you're doing a good job. Hang in there. Like you got this. But then when it comes to telling themselves that like all of a sudden walls go up and, um, and it could be trauma. It could be, you know, negative cognitions from, from childhood on, but a lot of it could also be a spiritual narrative that Mm. self is bad, Mm -hmm. you know? So yeah, the selflessness, right? This, exactly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. An, an exercise I like to give. I, I I do think once you become parents, it is a lot easier to learn self compassion practices. Yes. I have found that to be true for a lot of my clients because I can always be like, imagine how you like comfort your child when they fall down and scrape their knee. What do you do? Mm. And they now know, right? Even if yeah. there's some the reason self-compassion is so hard for many people, because we just didn't experience it growing mm. up. 
mm-hmm. is a very it's a very foreign concept and it feels icky it's like I, you want yeah. me to say what like you want me to say what to myself that feels yeah. like so weird and and we never heard our parents talk to themselves like that we often didn't hear our for many people didn't hear their our parents talk to ourselves like that Ooh, but i think that's so good a kid, and you are doing mm-hmm. that for your child. It's like, okay, I know, I now know how to do this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it's so interesting. You bring up such a good point, but we are so good at self-criticism. That has been a long, we've seen it work in our parents. We've seen people around us be self-critical and self-deprecating in, in a harmful way. Mm-hmm. But very rarely do we hear, good job, Adam, you know, like, or, you know, <laughs> encouraging ourselves, um, or being truthful about, you know, this was good. We were taught to like distance ourselves from achievement and feeling good about something. Mm. And while, but we give lots of room for people to be very harsh to themselves. So I love that, that you're giving permission to people saying, Hey, it's good for your kids to hear your, you be positive to yourself because you're teaching them some very beneficial, good habits. Yeah incredibly like it's one of the most important resources that we can give them yeah so good because you're giving your kid your their inner voice exactly yeah Yeah. you got it yeah so talk to the parent who says okay we're in this kind of like where you are still (laughs) and they're like we we are we really want more children we maybe we have one but i don't know like we're still not getting any sleep I don't know if I can survive having another child right now. What advice would you give to that parent? So the first thing I would say is, the, and I think there is an exception to this, which I will name, but I also just want to say like, it's okay to take your time with that feeling. Mm. So there are definitely people who are older and are going to feel like if when I say that, they're going to be like, but I don't have time. I'm 40 mm. and I need to make up my mind right now. Mm. But even if that time is three months or six months, what I found to be true for myself, and this was very much my experience. I come from a family of three. I was like, I'm going to have three. And then I had my first. And within the first few weeks, my husband and I were like, what is happening? (laughs) And truly like, I could not, like I had a very traumatic postpartum to the point that even seeing a a newborn and hearing a newborn cry, I used to have to mute this is us when they would show the babies Mm. crying because the sound of the cries would activate my nervous system and would give me so much anxiety and I'd have flashbacks. And, Mm. and so I knew for me, I couldn't think about it until that feeling started to go away. Okay. And so some of that happens with time off. Sometimes we need to see a therapist and we Mm. need some additional or we need support. It doesn't always yeah. have to be a therapist, right. but we do, we need some additional support. I think we do have to though acknowledge that if we're having those feelings, there's a good chance there's some healing work that we need mm-hmm. to do. And mm-hmm. there's some, there's some stuff we need to take the time to give ourselves mm-hmm. because likely your journey was really, really hard. Mm-hmm. And likely there's grief that probably needs to be held in some way. Likely there's some trauma, whether that trauma came up on your journey or it's your childhood stuff that is coming up and we need to take the time to, to heal. Cause what's really important is what we know about trauma is that trauma begets trauma. 
So if I have a birth trauma, let's say, or I have this really traumatic postpartum and I don't take the time to do some of that healing work because I feel pressured, I want to have two under two. And this was this idea of like how we were going to do it. And I rush in, we actually know your odds of having another trauma are increased and like yeah. having a PTSD experience are mm -hmm. increased because your nervous system is already going into that experience in an mm -hmm. activated state. So yeah. So that is something I would say. And I would also say, well, let's like, look, like, let's look at like, what do you really want? Mm. Right? Like for me, I knew I wanted a second because I wanted, I, I wanted a do-over. And one of the mm. questions, I've created a course on this topic because it was such a nice. profound yeah. thing for me because I, there were no resources and no one talking about this. And I'm yeah. like, I'm going to create a course about this. But I knew for me, like, I really wanted a do-over. I wanted the experience of, like, seeing if I could have that first three months or that first six months or that first year be a time I actually get to enjoy because mm -hmm. I didn't get that the first time. And there was grief around that. Yeah. And I was fully aware it might never happen. And I'm prepared. I'm, like, I knew I could get another baby just like my first. But I also knew I was a different mom. I yeah. had so many more tools. My husband had so many more tools. There was no way it was ever going to be as hard again. And so for me, that was something that I knew yeah. I really wanted. Mm -hmm. But there are other people, and I know having just run, I ran this course in the spring who went through all the content and did all this healing work. And they're like, you know what? I don't, I don't think I really need to have another one. I feel oh. really good. Success. Yeah. yeah. Like we're yeah. good. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of it comes down to what are my values, right? Yeah. yeah. What are my values? And like, what are my needs and what are my fears and what are my traumas and how are those all kind of playing out together? Mm -hmm. Which are the things I really value above all else? If I mm. value above all else having a big family, then that means I need to probably do a lot of extra work if I'm going to decide to have another kid. Mm -hmm. I might need to hire some help or I might need to whatever it might be because I probably need more support than I gave myself last time. Uh, mm, so good. But another value was yeah. like, I just want to have a happy life with my kids or I want to advance in my career or whatever it is. It might not be that you want a big family. And then you can come to this place of like, yeah, no, I don't need to do that again. I'm good. Mm. Mm -hmm. So yeah. it takes, and we need to do some reflection on it. Yeah. So but the course, it, it's for someone who says, I want to have another baby. I'm just not sure. Yeah. It's for someone who's like, I'm not sure. I like, I, it's the idea is, so it's called, I'd love another baby, but so it's like, I always <laughs> thought I'd have another one or I kind I would love the idea of having another one, but mm -hmm. I'm scared. My marriage will fall apart. I'm scared. I'll have postpartum mm. depression again. I'm scared. Yeah. I'll have birth trauma. We all have our different reasons, but, but there's a, but, um, mm -hmm. and so some of it is around making this decision and some of it is about preparing. Okay. So what are the I need to make sure next time isn't as hard as the last time. Nice. And how yeah. long is the course? It is a 10 week course. Okay. There you go. And you're running it in the fall. And I'm running it. I haven't yet to say either. I'm going to run it in the fall or in January. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So go but to the, the website next, and check it out. Yeah. 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 We'll put the, the link, link in the show notes. Very good. Any other resources, Natalie, that you'd recommend, um, whether they're your own resources or resources that you stand by? I think everyone's journey is so unique. And so 
I think it really depends on what you're looking for support with. Um, usually where I will send people, especially parents who are looking for a therapist, is I would either send them to Postpartum Support International or I would tell them to go look for um, a therapist in one of the directories from sensory motor psychotherapy or somatic experiencing or EMDR because mm -hmm. I just think parents often are struggling with traumas without realizing it. And I mm -hmm. just want them to find someone who can help them support themselves from a nervous system level. Um, nice. Yeah. So That's good. good. And just for clarification for people who are like, what's the difference between supporting myself from a nervous system level versus not like just typical talk therapy. Can you specify that difference? Yeah. So when we're doing somatic work, which is Sensory motor psychotherapy and somatic experiencing are two types of somatic modalities. EMDR is not a somatic modality. It's more of just a trauma therapy, but somatic modalities are really about learning to notice the sensations in my body, which is what we spent a lot of time talking about today, and learning how to stay regulated in their presence and bringing in traumas and memories and learning how to find internal and external resources to keep ourselves regulated. Mm -hmm. And talk therapy is more just, we're talking, often we're doing, you know, well, I mean, talk therapy traditionally is that psychoanalytic, we're just talking about. Mm -hmm talking about things. I think talk therapy can be really helpful for parents who often just need to feel like their story has been heard. Um, we often just need to feel seen and witnessed, but yeah. I do think oftentimes we need a little bit more yep. support than just. Absolutely. Just for sure. Yeah. So good. Awesome. This has been fantastic, Natalie. Thank you for sharing your expertise and resources with the listeners. Yeah, so we end every podcast episode by asking one question. Um, so if you could fill in the blank with dear young married couple, but what um, what do you wish you would have received or uh, advice you wish you would have received at the very beginning of your relationship and fill in that blank, dear young married couple? Dear young married couple, if things are feeling really hard right now and you're not sure how you're going to find your way out of it. I just want you to know that you will, that it feels hard right now because it very likely is very hard. Mm. But you will get there. Don't forget that you're doing an incredible job and that your kids or your kid is so lucky to have you in their life. Mm. Beautiful. Thank you, Natalie. Thank you, Thank Natalie. You you're fantastic. Yes. Yes. So for some tips and practical uh, help, stay tuned for this wonderful episode. I say stay tuned. Oh. Hey, you're doing a good job. Hang in there. Like, you got this. 